I believe I feel a little celebration in the air, kitty. We got no choice but to limbo, Jimbo. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now this is going to take several years as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right, and we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are, and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com, and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. David, seriously losing the bet again when he says, oh, we can kiss our bonus bye-bye. <laughs> yes, I know. Maddie should have just called him out right then and there. She does give him a look. And I love how Clark plays the piano according to the outcome that he wants. You saved me from those evil men. Yes, I know. So many good things there. And Bruce is laughing during this when he's playing the piano. Yes, there's a couple of times Bruce goes out of character a little bit. There was another time that I was going to point out that Bruce goes out of character. That may have been it. And I always thought it was because Robert Joy was playing the piano, but he is actually playing the piano. He's actually a piano player. Yes. So Clark's hoping that they come to his side that, you know, instead of telling her the truth, don't tell her that it was me. Let's come to an arrangement you get your reward yeah. and my way everyone gets what they want. I know which version yeah. I'd prefer. And everyone does kind of get what they want. You know, Maddie and David get more money. Mrs. Graydon pays less and she doesn't know what a scumbag her son is. And he saves face, right? That's right. So they're back at Blue Moon. They're walking up the corridor and David is so excited that they have just made $50,000 for the agency and Maddie is not happy. She goes, I can't believe we did that. We just lied to a client and grabs his lapels. And he's like, it's okay. <laughs> I've never done that before. What? Grab the man by the lapels? Okay, I like it. <laughs> I love it. What was it? In dream sequence, actually, the guy wants them to forge photos of his wife cheating. And she says, we don't do that. You know, right. Maddie's very against taking advantage of a client lying or doing anything like that. So here they are in the next episode, kind of going along with what Clark is telling them that they should do, then that it's going to work out best for everybody and all of that. 
mean, it definitely doesn't feel good about it, even though, you know, gosh, I mean, in some way, like it is always a bit of a moral dilemma. Like what's the best thing to do? It does kind of make sense to do it the way Clark says, but it's not morally right. That's right. He tries to convince her that somebody else had taken the case. Emily would have had to pay the $100,000 and it was a mature and adult decision. (laughs) That's right. Of course. So my question is, how did they get to earn the $50,000? How did they earn the $50,000? Yeah. So I've worked it out in my head, but I don't know. I just want to know if you've worked it out as to how it added up that they got $50,000. Let's see. Well, um, Mrs. Graydon was going to pay them $1 for every dollar, every two. (laughs) Oh, God, Grace, when it comes to numbers, my mind just doesn't go there. Just explain it, please. All right. This is how I've worked it out that they've earned $50,000, okay? Now, Emily Graydon was prepared to pay $100,000. Okay. But she wanted to pay less, hopefully, if possible, if they could negotiate the lower fee. I'm including the $5,000 delivery fee as well. Now, if this was the arrangement, Clark, you're an idiot because he has agreed with David and Maddie that he will get $10,000 only, not the 100 yeah. obviously. It's a ridiculous contract, to be honest. But anyway, Clark has received $10,000. They have saved Emily $90,000 because he's only getting ten. They get half of that $90,000. So they get $45,000 plus the delivery fee of $5,000, which makes it $50,000. For this kidnapping, Clark has only got ten. Blue Moon has got $50,000. And Emily mm. has only paid out $60,000. Grace, I love it. <laughs> You've done it. <laughs> You've solved but, it. So that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but it was a ridiculous deal for Clark to make because the agency got way more than he did. <laughs> and he's a kidnapper. <laughs> I, I know, but his main concern at that point, I think, was that his mother was going to find out what he did, you know. And yeah. He yeah. knew it just wasn't all working out in his favor. And he still got 10000 which probably paid off part of his debt. Yep. David goes to tell the troops the good news. And what happens? Oh, gosh, David. (laughs) Yeah, why does he do that? That is really stupid of him right then and there, you know? I'm going to go tell the troops. That's what he says, and he runs off, and he starts doing the damn limbo again when he knows that that's what pissed her off to begin with. (laughs) Why does he do that? (laughs) I don't get it. Yeah, you know what? He's being himself. Yeah, that's true. That's who he is. And right then and there, he lost the bet. You know, a leopard can't change its spots. And I think she's asking a lot when she says, I want you to change. Oh, yeah, of course. You can't just change a whole human being. I mean, and this episode shows that. And then it also shows you that careful what you ask for, because when she does change him, no one's happy. She's not happy. He's not happy. What does he say? I love what he says when he comes into the office. Hey, kids. Guess how big a booty me and mom bagged. We're talking five figures here, kids. Oh. Speaking of fine figures. <laughs> I believe I feel a little celebration in the air, kitties. We got no choice but to limbo, Jimbo. Oh, I know. Yes, I always love it when they talk about Maddie and David as a couple, as mom and dad. Yeah. And 
it's great his body language as he puts on his glasses. He doesn't do it like David Caruso does in CSI Miami. Sorry. Only David mm-hmm. Caruso mm-hmm. can do that. But I love how mm-hmm. he puts his glasses on and he, and he shakes his legs. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so good. But they start the limbo and, oh, my God, Maddie walks in. Oh, dear. Mm, gosh. Yep. Gosh. Again, he's messed it up. Now she's real mad. And he puts his head on an angle and he, he's got his glasses on and he smiles and he's got that Tom Cruise look on from Risky Business from 1983. <laughs> mm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So good. I think this is the scene where he jumps off the desk and turns around. Oh, yeah. Limber up, cats and kittens. I'll be back in a flash. That's yes. so good. Yes. Follows Maddie. Is there mm. a door slam? There's a door slam when oh, she here. enters the office. Yeah. Okay, so he goes into Maddie's office. She's straight into the star files. O'Neill and Jurgensen mm-hmm. are the most immediately expendable. And he's, like, shocked that she's going there. What does he expect? You know, you've got to be a boss, not a buddy. And yeah, he's already taken his glasses off by this stage and sits on the edge of the couch and he just says, boy, are you one tough customer? Yeah, he says things like that to her a couple of times, like, you're one tough customer. Like, you really something, you know that? You yeah. know, and kind of just like getting to the essence of her, you know, personality like Maddie. But Maddie firmly believes, you know, this is important for you and the agency. So, oh, yes. What she says there is very important in general. She says, this is important for you, for the agency, for us, for us. <laughs> but you know what? It's true, though. It's like, if he doesn't grow up, what's the future for anything? The business? Him? She's worried about him. She's worried about him being a business partner. But also, what about them, maybe, is in the back of her mind, you know? How would they ever be together if he's that immature, you know? She wants him to go out and put all the employees in their place to behave professionally. Okay. All right, I'll take care of it. Mind if I watch? And Mm. I cannot watch this scene. Oh, my gosh. I was going to say it's the most painful to watch him do it. it. Oh, it is torture. That's what it is. (laughs) Yeah, he is so pained doing it. This is a business. You're supposed to be business people. Now, come on. Yeah, Maddie's really taking pleasure in it. (laughs) Maddie is sitting back delighted. Just Mm. loves seeing David in this position. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Did you notice when he's going across the roof, when he notices that Clark is down the bottom, well, he doesn't know it's Clark yet, but he runs across from one end of the roof to the other and you can tell that that's his body double. But the music, did you notice the song? Yeah, what was the song there? I'm not sure. What was it? Um, Pop Goes the Weasel? Pop Goes the Weasel. Yes. That's a great choice of music. Yes. But do you know what the meaning of Pop Goes the Weasel is? (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) It was a rhyme. It was a Cockney rhyming slang. Mm. It was popular in London, you know, years and years and years and years ago. And it was what they used to disguise what they were saying. How funny. Interesting bit of trivia for you. And one more piece of trivia about Chubby Checker, who sang the Limbo Rock. Chubby Checker was born Ernest Evans in Spring Gully, South Carolina. 
He used to entertain his classmates by performing vocal impressions of popular entertainers of the day, such as Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley and Fats Domino. So Mm -hmm. one of his classmates and friends at South Philadelphia High School, here we go, South Philadelphia, there's a reference, um, was Fabiano Forte, who would become a popular performer of the late 1950s and early 1960s as Fabian. Now, Mm. after school, Chubby, we'll call him Chubby, would entertain customers at his various jobs, including fresh farm poultry in the Italian market on 9th Street and at the produce market with songs and jokes. It was his boss at the produce market, Tony, who gave Evans the nickname Chubby. The owner of Fresh Farm Poultry, Henry Colt, was so impressed by the boy's performances for the customers that he, along with his colleague and friend, Cal Mann, who worked as a songwriter for Cameo Parkway Records, arranged for Mm -hmm. young Chubby to do a private recording for American Bandstand host Dick Clark. At this recording session, Evans got his stage name from Clark's wife, who asked Evans what his name was. Well, he replied, my friends call me Chubby. As he had just completed a Fats Domino impression, she smiled and said, oh, as in Checker? So that little play on words, Chubby, describing a degree of fatness of checkers and checkers being like dominoes, a tabletop game, got an instant laugh and stuck. And then from then on, Evans would use the name Chubby Checker. Oh, wow. Love all the trivia. Where were we? We're talking about, um, oh, gosh, the horrible scene um, or the painful scene when David has to... um, stop the employees from having fun and tell them this is a place of business. And the most painful part for you, I know, has to be when he stops Mr. Pesto from answering in rhyme. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe he did that. And he stops that. I always notice this extra, the one doing her nails. Yes. They actually mention her in one of the commentaries because later on in, I think this must have been season five, she gets a speaking part. She says something. Mm. She's there for quite a long time. Yeah, Agnes's face, she's in shock. You know, he stops the guy from reading the newspaper, he stops the guy from putting his feet up on the desk. Blue Moon Investigations, mm-hmm. how may I help you? That is how we answer the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrible. Poor Agnes, poor, poor everybody. Agnes. And Maddie's leaning against her door frame, smiling. <laughs> she's I know, so happy. I know, except towards the end, oh. looking at... Their yes. response and thinking, oh, and of course he goes into his office. Yeah, he's like devastated. Um, really goes against his true personality. Yeah, I just feel like she's got a little bit of regret going on by her expression. Oh, her face changes. Yes. Mm. She thinks that um, it's a good thing until she actually sees him do it and how his body language when he walks into his office and then everyone else's reaction. It's funny that you can't watch that part. It's hard to watch, I'll give you that. It is hard to watch. And Bruce has actually said that it was difficult for him to do this particular scene. Yes. We're at Blue Moon the next morning and Maddie enters. Yes, very interesting. Agnes is not happy. However, Maddie does say that she didn't say good morning, Miss Hayes, but Miss Hayes didn't say good morning to Agnes either as she walked past. Mm -hmm, Because there's a lot of scenes where Maddie walks in and she says good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Morning, Miss Hayes. Maybe Maddie was feeling unsure and kind of like using it as a test. Like, well, if Agnes says hi to me, then every, everything is okay. 
I think she's worked out straight away as soon as she's walked in that Agnes hasn't said good morning. And Maddie knows why. And by the way, she looks beautiful in this outfit. Yes. I love the pleats on her jacket. Yes. Yeah, it's a really lovely outfit. And her hair is a flatter too. It's not volumized yeah. in, this, in this scene. Which I prefer. I don't like season three Maddie hair, <laughs> that big, all the curls and everything. Yeah. I like it like this in the different episodes in season two. So she comes around the front of Agnes's desk and says, Mr. Pesto, I'm talking to you. You know, Maddie's used to being beloved equally by Agnes. You know, Agnes loves David and Agnes loves Maddie and she's fiercely loyal to both of them. But now Maddie's not getting that reaction from her. This is when she starts really seeing that the employees are really upset and you de-daved him and all of that. And so Maddie, now she's going to try to pick up the ball and be like, well, look, you know, we can still have fun. I, I can be funny. <laughs> Say mm-hmm. something funny. And she has to tell this joke. And now Will McKenzie was saying that this was actually his first day filming. They filmed this scene. Well, he filmed, I think, with uh, Bruce separately one day. And then he filmed this with Sybil separately one day. It's the first day he worked with Sybil. And she was having trouble telling the joke. <laughs> and like she couldn't really remember the joke. So I think it was like a bit of uh, maybe she was being a little high maintenance this day with, you know, trying to remember the jokes and all these things that, you know, she was supposed to say. Yeah, it's funny. You know how I told you I started watching Hill Street Blues? Somebody tells this joke in Hill Street Blues. And this is before, no way. This is before moonlighting. <laughs> anyway. Really? Yeah. How funny. But she but, does a good job. Okay. Well, this cut, she does a good job telling the joke. Yeah. I mean, the only problem is um, the employees, of course, already know the joke. So they, they say the punchline with her. I'm just amazed how... Agnes is so angry and she's quite open about it. I know, I know. Usually Agnes isn't uh, that defiant with Maddie. Yeah, she wouldn't normally display her feelings of disappointment, but I think she's at the end of her tether too with this episode. You de-daved him. Oh, I see. This is a group effort. And just what have I done to deserve this extraordinary display of affection? You de-daved him. I what? Mr. Addison, you de-daved him. I de-daved him? De-daved him. Took it all away. Now there's no Dave left. Now he's like every other Tom, Dave, or Harry. What I did, I did for his own good. Do you have any idea how silly he would have looked? 55 years old, gut hanging over his belt, walking around going, do bears boo, do bees bee. Don't you see? In the long run, I made the right choice, the right decision. Adulthood is wonderful. There are people who've waited 10, 20 years to become an adult. Some longer. Miss Hayes, you de-daved him. And that's that. And that's that. (laughs) So they didn't like her joke, so she goes in and slams the door. But did you notice the door doesn't slam properly? It's like somebody's behind the door shutting it. They said that in the commentary that there's a door wrangler, they called it, a door wrangler. So there's someone sitting back there to make sure that it stays closed. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of bounces in a weird way, doesn't it? Yeah, it bounces back, but then it's like somebody was there to shut it again. Yeah, someone was. Mm. <laughs> oh, see, I'm ahead of my time. I didn't even know about the commentary. Yeah, I know. You'll have to watch the commentary and see other things you write about. So she comes out of the office again because she's thought of another joke that she thought will make everybody laugh about the mouse trap and the bus. <laughs> yes. 
it's pretty funny. And I once sent this cut to my daughter, my youngest daughter, Bonnie, because she went through a stage where she'd call everybody fungi or she'd say, oh, hello, fungus. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, she's morbid. But anyway, I sent her this scene and she thought it was absolutely hilarious how they didn't laugh at her joke and she just looks at them all and says, you're all fungi. Now, I got somebody else to watch this episode with me last week. Yes. And this person said, oh, I thought she was going to say you're all fired. Ah, yeah. You're all fungi. I never even thought of that. I know. I didn't either, but I wonder if that was the intention and she just said you're all fungi instead of fired. You know, to scare him or something, or maybe it was a, a joke with the writer. I mean, you know, mm. that the writer wanted the audience to think she was going to say fired and blah, 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 blah. Mm. That's funny, though. That never crossed my mind either. That's good. When you get um, fresh really, eyes watching something, they'll see something different. Yeah, it's really fun to watch it with uh, people that are seeing it for the first time. I really like this scene when she runs into her office. I de daved him. I'll de dave them all. They'll think it's D Day around here, damn them. <laughs> I know. I love it. Sybil's great. Sybil is great in this whole scene. And the buzzing of the phone and her saying, what she say? A woman walked in, a woman walked into a bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of jokes or something. Yeah. Agnes rings and says, there's a woman. Yeah. There's a woman? In a bar with a moose on her head. I know all about it and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for supporting us, Moonlighting fans. We hope you are enjoying our episodes. And if you feel so inclined, Shauna and I would be very appreciative if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts so that we know we're on track with our content and continue to provide you with a great experience. And then rings again, and I love how Sybil goes, what? Everybody is a comedian. What? Yes. She's so frustrated now yeah. because, because she's caused this ruckus and yeah, she doesn't quite know what to do about it. So she's angry as well. Everybody's angry in this episode. Everybody's angry. Uh, yes. No one's happy. That is so true. Nobody is happy. She's de-daved him. The employees are mad. Agnes isn't talking to her. David's wherever he is, not being himself. It's all messed up. Yeah. Everything has gone haywire. Yeah. And for those who don't know what D-Day is, it's, it's a bit of a history of World War II, the landings at Normandy. That's another reference. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And then she figures out that, that uh, I was going to say Barbara Bain was there, um, that Mrs. <laughs> was there again. Maddie seems quite frightened that Mrs. Graydon is back. So mm. I was thinking, well, she seems to be very on edge, and I'm thinking maybe she's worried that, Mrs. Graydon has found out about the deal with Clark. That's what I think her first thought is. Yeah. So she's very stressed about that, thinking she might have found out. So Emily walks in. She apologises for not having an appointment. And she's letting Maddie know that we were meeting for breakfast at his apartment this morning, but he wasn't there. And he's been kidnapped again. And she said, well, maybe he went to get a paper or something. Now, she has said that in another episode previously. Hmm. I don't remember it. Yeah, anyway, so Emily finds this note on his kitchen table and the kidnappers want this money by noon or they'll kill him. And Maddie says, oh, my God, that's less than two hours away. 
Yeah. So where the hell is David? That means that he's not even at work yet and it's past 10 o'clock. Yeah, that's what I don't understand. It's like he's supposed to be the new and improved David Addison showing up to work on time. I love that Maddie is very much looking for him. Is Mr. Addison in yet? Either one. No. That's one of the best lines. The old one or the new one? <laughs> no. <Either> one. <laughs> that's, but, that's great. But how nasty does Agnes sound, though? Oh, my gosh, I know. She's so mad. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I love that. I think Agnes is doing really well by standing up for herself and defending David. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's definitely not happy about the D-Daving. <laughs> The only thing is, in this kidnapping, the amount is not disclosed. That's true. I was going to say Sybil and this whole part with Sybil and then like when she, you know, meets up with David and the rest of the episode, Sybil's really showcased in this. I feel like she's the front man in this episode. I think she's great in it. I think her acting is great. I think that she's been given a lot of good time on screen, a lot of good dialogue. She looks beautiful. I never really realized it, but I kind of, Realized it, I guess, a little bit more watching it this time that she's very much showcased in this. Yes. And they've given her a lot of good lines as well, funny lines. Yeah, exactly. When sometimes she would complain that like David or Bruce got all the funny lines, but that's not true at all. It's really not. I think she had a skewed. Sometimes even like being the straight man makes the joke hit just right. Yeah. And that's an important role. Yeah. And it's an important part of the jigsaw puzzle. Without her, he's not funny. You know, they were two peas in a pod and yes. they both had their place. Yes. She had some great lines. She was funny and she acted it out well as well. Yes. I, I think she's really great in this episode. That whole scene with Mrs. Graydon, so authentic. So like reactions in the moment, you know, so like how you would react and everything. I know that's their job, but, you know, it can't be easy to pull it off all the time, you know. That's right. So Maddie's really worried now. She's like, oh, my God, what have we done? We shouldn't have made the deal. Now that he's been kidnapped again. So Emily says, I should never have toyed with them in the first place. Mm. Emily leaves, and that's when Maddie brings Agnes, you know, old Mr. Addison, new Mr. Addison. Maddie walks out of the office and says, I'm gone. And Agnes says, knew that. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. Now, two things here. Yes. I know. Agnes is really bad very defiant to, to Maddie, which is not normal at all. I always think that Maddie, there's not much time between Mrs. Graydon leaving and Maddie panicking and leaving. She could have easily met her at the elevator. You're Mrs. right. Mrs. Graydon have let, you know, walked that fast to the elevator. But then also think of the plot of the show. Mrs. Graydon is in there talking. She's killed him. <laughs> she's murdered him already. And yes. saying he's gone. Yes. Yeah, so that's dark, you know. This plot is dark. Yeah, it is a very dark plot. Why did she decide, you know, to kill him and all this other stuff? But anyway, if you just think about that, that's um, those are some pretty dark things. But I always think that, yeah, Maddie hasn't given Graydon enough time to get into the elevator before she panics yeah. and runs after looking for David, yeah. No, that's true. I don't think Mrs. Graydon would have even got to the elevator. Yeah, much less had it arrived and be gone. But nonetheless... The plot must move forward. So Maddie, where's she going? Just going to look for David, I guess, huh? Well, unless she was going to drop off the money herself because Emily gave her a package with the money in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
miraculously, David comes out of the elevator wearing very nice attire and he's even wearing a vest and he's been reading an article about the myth of the new male. (laughs) Yep. He's looking very good in his three-piece suit, lovely tie and everything. And Maddie shoves him back in the elevator and down they go and then out into the parking garage. And again, he's very chivalrous, (laughs) opens her door for her. Yes, I always get confused with this because our steering wheel, obviously, here in Australia is on the right-hand side of the car. So I'm thinking, why are they both walking to the right-hand side of the car? (laughs) Oh, right, 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 yeah. I always get confused with this scene. Another goof I noticed, when Emily hands her the package with the money in it in the office, Mm -hmm. it's not the same size as the package she hands him to put in his suit pocket. Oh, really? Because it wouldn't have fit. The package that Graydon handed Maddie wouldn't fit inside David's lapel pocket. That's right. What they did was just make it narrower so that it would fit in his pocket. Yeah, that makes sense. And he says, do you think this ruins the lining of the suit? (laughs) (laughs) He's really into his uh, character now. So they're back in the car and this is where the necklace is a little bit out of whack. David, I've been thinking. Aren't you going to say anything? Like what? Yes. Like I know, I can see the smoke rising from your brain. (laughs) I know, I know. It's almost like she's setting him up to see that she can get him to be the old David. Yeah. And she likes that banter. Even though she won't admit it, and he smirks when she says this, and he knows that she misses it. Oh, yeah. Then she tells him the story about her sheepdog, Sport, who used to lick her on the face and... (laughs) That story. I hate that story, but it's kind of funny, but it's just the images of it, I guess. Yeah, I know. Because he used to lick her on the face. He used to get her quilt dirty. We used to make her mum mad. We used to make her dad mad. So he sent her obedience school and teach him how to be a watchdog. But it worked because he just sat on the porch looking at strangers. Yeah. And then she says he got squished. <laughs> he got squished. Squished? Ran over him? <laughs> I know. All he wanted to do was sit on the front porch and look for strangers. Strangers, huh? Looking for a zipless lick? That's not funny. You know what happened? Met a zipless tick? He got squished. Squished? My father backed out of the driveway and ran over him. Ran over him? Ran over him. You understand my point? Sure. I ain't never licking your face when your father's around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, yes. So that was her way of saying to David that maybe she needs to learn to accept how people are. Yeah. And so trying to change them, which is so true. But that's the thing. It's like during this whole car ride and even when the chase starts and stuff and he's like, move it. He screams at the other car and he's like, sorry. And she's like, that's okay. I think I liked it. Yeah. Um, So she's like kind of in this moment to me saying, oh, all bets are off, David. Just go back to the normal way that you are. I shouldn't have tried to change you kind of thing. That's kind of what she's saying, you know. But later when he sings on the street, then she's like, oh, you lost the bet. Well, it's like, well, she keeps kind of going back and forth. You know, she keeps saying she doesn't want the bet anymore and she's regretting it. But then he's damned when he is himself again. So she can't really make up her mind on that one. He's damned if he is and he's damned if he ain't. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, he has a smug look. Uh, I love his face here. He's got a smug look, but he doesn't say anything. He knows. He knows that she misses him being David. Yeah, he knows he's winning. 
So they get there, they get out of the car and he opens the door for her and she says, no, thank you. And then she gets out and says, yeah. I miss the old David. Well, and he says, well, he's yours for the limbo wing and $3,000. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like turning the table now. I guess that was his opportunity to kind of let it all go. But yeah, so anyway, I guess that answers my question. The bet was still going. So they go to the newspaper stand. Yeah. Current events. <laughs> you know what I love? I always love in American shows how you guys have always got a quarter available in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, back then people probably did carry change in their pockets and stuff because you probably you needed change for phones. You needed change for newspapers. Mm. Funny how dependent they are on pay phones mm. in Moonlighting as well. And, you know, especially this episode. She reads the ransom note, Los Angeles River, 1141, drop money as you enter the tunnel, he's at the other end. And she says, phone booth corner of fifth and flower, exactly 1130. Look, exactly, it's all in capital letters. What do you think that means? I think it means exactly what it says. (laughs) (laughs) It means exactly what it says. (laughs) God. But you know, the funny thing is I looked at the note and everything is in capital letters. Oh, really? That's funny. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I also like the line when David says, um, you tend not to write everything down when you're cutting out each letter from a magazine or something like that. It's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's when she said, oh, 511, is that all it says? And that's when he said that. Yeah. Okay, so the car chase is on. We have a car chase. Yay. And that's when he says, Come on, move it, dipstick. <laughs> and he apologizes and yeah. Maddie likes it. That's okay. I think I like it. She likes it. And I love her screams in this when he's <laughs> going to hit another car. And <laughs> I love her screams. So they've got two minutes to go. They've got to get to Los Angeles River. She winds down the window and drops off the parcel and it's the small parcel again. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. So they drive in and they see the old van and she says, we've only got one minute left and the van blows up. How many Mm -hmm. movies have been made at this location? A lot. A lot. (laughs) A lot. Grease, Terminator, so many. Yeah, I recognize it from Greece more. This is where you see the back of them. Yeah, it looks like the body doubles there. I'm sure it is when they fall down. 
But the explosion is really well done because the back and the side of the van blow up and land within the frame in the cut where it shows Maddie and David from behind. Good props department. Good stunts. They're back in the car. You can tell by Maddie's demeanour she's really upset. How long do you think the smell lasts? How are we going to tell Emily? Maddie thinks they're both to blame. Now, I wrote this down, so I'll read it out and you tell me what you think. She says, I mean, if we hadn't have lied about the first kidnapping, Emily Graydon wouldn't have hired us for the second. If she hadn't have hired us for the second, her son would be alive today. That's what I mean. Yeah, and I was trying to think about that too. If uh... So if they hadn't have lied about the first, Emily Graydon wouldn't yeah. have hired us for the second. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. she's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, because yes. if she had known that Clark set up the first kidnapping, she wouldn't have hired him for the second to make out that, oh, he's been kidnapped again. So, yeah, yeah that makes sense. I yeah. couldn't get my head around it because she said it so fast. I had to write it down. So. <laughs> All right. So this is your turn, Shauna. You want to talk about this house. So this is a house in Hancock Park in Los Angeles. It's on a corner lot. Yes, driven past it quite a few times. It's all gated, but you can look in and you can see. You can see the driveway and all of that stuff, the door. So yeah, you can see quite a bit of the location when you go to visit that. Hancock Park, beautiful mansion. Hancock Park was kind of the original Beverly Hills. And yeah, Judy Garland used to live in that neighborhood and other people. So it has a lot of big, beautiful homes, but it's not all gated like a lot of houses in Beverly Hills these days. You know, this particular mansion is just a bigger home. It doesn't have a gate around it, but you can look in and see. Mm, Cool. That's fun. It looks like a nice old style mansion. The interior, was that filmed inside the mansion? Yes, it was. Yeah. In the commentary, Bruce uh, talks about, he remembers being there that day and filming at this house and the scene of them getting out of the car and walking up to the door. He was saying that he remembers filming all of that. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. All right. So they go in and they're telling Emily the bad news that Clark is dead. Emily's clearly upset and really needs them to leave. Maddie pledges to find who did this. Yeah, I just like where she's like, leave. Maddie's like, however long it takes. David's like pulling Maddie out like slowly, takes her by the waist and like leads her out and is like, time to go, Maddie. I love this in Moonlighting when they're upset and how they support and console each other because David looks upset as well. And, you know, he wants to get Maddie out of there and Mrs. Graydon clearly wants them out of there. And the next scene is a great scene with some very interesting overlapping dialogue. I really like this scene and it's funny to watch the subtitles too because it's you can't cope with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have to watch it many times to like hear what both are saying. Yeah. She's determined to find who's killed Clark, get the evidence to convict them, get the blood off their hands and he's saying that he wants to go on a holiday. It's hilarious this scene. Maddie's focused on I meant what I said. Whatever it takes, we're going to find who did this, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Yep. David, uh, between this case and this bet, <laughs> I got to get out of here. <laughs> I, I'm going to go down to the Virgin Islands. I always liked the, the, the name of that. <laughs> That's like, right. <laughs> and he says something about dip myself in a vat of suntan oil, slide across some, I think he says slide across some dames I've never met. Or something like that. I know. Um, So he's all focused on like going to find some like beach and sun and getting laid and just escaping this grueling week. And Maddie's focused on finding Clark's killer. So 
just very funny that they're both focused on some very different things at this moment. Completely opposite point of views of the situation. They want a different outcome. He wants to go on a holiday. She wants to solve a crime. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As soon as she says, I've never seen a guy blown to bits before, David realizes, hang on, I didn't see any bits of guy. It's so funny. <laughs> If a guy gets blown to bits, stands to reason you're going to see bits of guy, right? A nose flying through the air, a finger hitting you in the face. <laughs> there was no bits of guy. Where were the bits of guy? I didn't see any bits of guy. Yeah, that's so uh, that's classic moon landing right there. David's realized, you know what? I don't think he was in it. And Maddie says Clark did it again. And yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my God. They parked the car illegally. I don't know. Across a footpath. Like if you park across a footpath here, oh my God. God help you. And there's a guy there too when they park the car. They've actually blocked his way. He has to walk around the car when they oh, go yeah. to the phone box. Mm. Clark is alive. Yes, Clark is yeah. alive. <laughs> Come join our Facebook community at Fans of Moonlighting the Podcast and our Instagram community at Moonlighting the Podcast. All right, so let me say something about this area of town in Los Angeles, another location that I know well. This is Wilshire Boulevard. This is right by the Wiltern Theatre. You can see it in the background. Wiltern Theatre is this big green theatre that's very prominent on Wilshire. Wilshire is a very long street that goes like straight through the middle of Los Angeles. You know, if you live there, you end up driving up and down Wilshire all the time. There's this like some kind of like radio building or something right next to this. Like I know exactly, exactly, exactly where they are in this location. And it's really funny just to see now, of course, that phone box isn't there anymore. And that I think there's another, there's a maybe another building. It's just everything that you can see in the background. I just know so well. There's like a long placard that says the name of the building there. I think the name has changed since. Yeah. So anyway, like you said, parks the car, blocks the guy's way. Now, again, Sybil here, wow, she's so excited. I mean, yeah, I think they break character a little bit, like when she jumps on him or oh, when she says, and what if I don't want to dial one? And he laughs. I think that's Bruce laughing and not David. I don't know. What do you think? Like Sybil seems to be like very high energy and very like excited about the whole thing. And Bruce is kind of reacting like she's (laughs) she's a nut job. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, sorry, but now that we've actually seen them interact in kind of a more authentic way on that tape, when she was being body on that tape, when she was kind of being bad on that tape, he's laughing kind yes. of like he does here, Yes, you know? So yeah. that tape, I just love it. This is the behind the scenes, the Good Morning America behind the scenes tape that we've kind of recently come to see. I just love that because it gives us a little bit more insight about how they interacted, which we've always wondered about how they interacted in real life and like kind of the authentic reactions. And then you can kind of see that in the characters and when they break character, when they don't, you know, not that we're right about it all the time, but I just see him having those same reactions when Sybil gets like overexcited about things. 
You know? Yes, I noticed that too. Now that we know how they interacted with each other when you see that behind the scene footage, plus, you know, some of the interviews, so that when you watch an episode, you just see a little bit of it come out. And I think this is an instance at the phone booth when Maddie saying, Clark is alive, Clark is alive. <laughs> <laughs> I love and it. Jumping on him. And what if I don't want to dial one and slams the phone down and redials it? And what if I don't feel like dialing one first? Okay. Just... Explain the dial one. I don't get it. Oh, um, in the States, you have to dial one before you dial an area code. So every different state, every different, even within the state, there's different area codes for different places that you live. And you have to dial one plus your area code and then the number. That's how the numbers are set up. So. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So Maddie can't wait to tell Emily. David says, now just ease in. She's had plenty of surprises today. She's not a young woman. So just calm down and just, oh, my God, the phone's ringing. Oh, Emily, Clark is alive. Clark is alive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like how you did that. You're going to have a big career ahead of you as a blackjack dealer. Now, Maddie, ease into this. She's already had a few surprises today. Don't worry. If anybody understands that, I do. Hello, Mrs. Graydon, Madeline Hayes. Clark is alive! Clark is alive! That was terrific. I like the way you held your emotions in check. You got a big career ahead of you as a blackjack dealer. <laughs> That's a blackjack dealer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah, right. But unfortunately, uh, Maddie opens a big fat trap and tells Emily that the first kidnapping was a fake. It was actually Clark trying to extort money from you. And she turns around, hugs David. Yeah, I know. Jumps on him. And she says, I love the part where we solve the crime. And he says, I could get used to this myself. And he's talking about the hug. Yes, I know. He doesn't even look all that surprised that she jumped on him, but definitely enjoying it. Maddie feels relieved that now they've earned their $50,000. She feels absolved of the $50,000. Immoral. He says something the something, the Mahansky, the Mungo Buckos. I don't yeah, know what that is. I don't, I don't know what that means. I didn't look that up. So he starts singing yeah. Money by the Beatles. Yeah, was it by the Beatles? That's funny. I thought that might be the Beatles, but then I Googled it and it said someone else sang, someone yeah. Else sang it. Yeah, so it was actually written by Barry Gordy. In 1989. Okay. There we go. Yeah, the Beatles sang it in 63 and the Flying Lizards sang it in 79. But okay. I can't remember who sang it before that. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah, it's a very old song. But he sang it well, yeah, don't you yeah. think, with the movements and his arms and mm-hmm. closing mm-hmm. his arms. <laughs> you know, there's your doo-wop. I guess that was a little bit of foreshadowing when she said, one doo-wop and you're out. So the singing yeah. was what finally did him in. And the funny thing is that David doesn't even realise what he's doing. He's just being him. And yeah. she's just looking at him like, um, you're singing. And he's like, what? You sang. And he bites his fist. Yes. He goes, that's not fair, Maddie. We had a mood going here. We're celebrating. No, uh, you yeah. snapped your fingers. You wiggled your hips. You even closed your eyes like Ricky Nelson. <laughs> Ricky Nelson, he's white. That's <laughs> <laughs> not cool enough for him. He was not happy about that. So they're back in the car and he goes, what now? And she goes, well, you just lost the bet. O'Neill and Jurgerson just lost their jobs and Blue Moon Investigations just got their social director back. I like that. Three things. Yeah, it's great. There's no banter in the car, is there? We just arrive at Emily's house. Yes. And then that's when he's trying to bargain with her 
for another two weeks. Yeah, another two weeks. And then we'll lay off Mandelberg and Daniels. He mentions, he says, give me another two weeks. And if I mess up, then we'll lay off Jurgensen, O'Neill, Mandelberg and Daniel. That's what he says. Oh, I didn't pick that up. Yeah. So then he's throwing in the editors. There were brothers, Artie and... Oh, of course, the Mandelbergs. Yeah, I didn't pick that up. Oh my God, well done. Oh yeah, there he goes. And there's some trivia and for you. Um, yeah, and he's talking about Jay Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so a little insider. Oh, that's so funny. That's so good. We haven't spoken about Artie and Neil. So what I'll do is in the next episode that we record, Shauna, I'll talk a little bit about Neil and Artie Mandelberg's career history. So they knock on the door. She's not answering. Then he pushes the door a little bit and it opens. They walk into this property and Maddie's sort of saying, I wonder where she is. And then I like how the camera turns behind them and then it shows the staircase and then Emily appears. Yeah, I like how it whips around like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny too. Now let's see if I can understand this. David, she's holding a gun on us. Maybe we should have wiped our feet. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's funny. Maybe we should have wiped our feet. Like that's why she would be mad. Again, just like Read the Mind, See the Movie, the killer is clearly telling them everything. Spells it right out for her. She's realised that the first ransom wasn't a ransom at all. So Maddie realises that she's actually written these notes and that after the first kidnapping, Emily saw a way to get rid of him once and for all. So that's when David realises that the van was going to blow whether they got there or not. Yeah. Uh, And it would have worked if only she'd known about the first kidnapping, which is true because she wouldn't have gone to all these lengths. Mm -hmm. Let's go into the music room, Shauna. Yeah. (laughs) This part. Yeah. So funny. What are you going to do with us? Kill you. I like that. Ask a simple question and get a simple answer. (laughs) Uh It's so hilariously silly and funny, but any idea how? Put any thought into how? It's like, well, I don't know. She's standing there holding a gun. (laughs) You can just pull the trigger. Like, you know? Yeah. It's just so silly in a way. We never really know how she killed Clark and all of that. That's never explained. So she's obviously killed him somehow, put his body somewhere on the property, maybe buried it but called them to the van, see it explode. But, of course, David didn't see any bits of guy. Right. (laughs) No bits of guy. Yeah, during this scene, David is obsessed with the piano, but we find out why eventually. He goes to play on it. She doesn't like him playing on it. So he's got a plan that he's going to grab the piece that's holding the lid up on the piano to whack the gun out of her hand. Maddie and Emily fight over the gun. It goes off. A shot's fired. (laughs) David pretends he's shot. He's acting immature. (laughs) Yes, being immature. So he pretends he's been shot, walks across the floor, grabs a gun off Emily and worked in the third grade, still works. And the scene just wraps up the whole episode when he says, yes, there's something to be said for not acting like a mature adult. There you go. You know what? His immaturity saved them in the end. Yeah, Maddie says, I suppose. (laughs) Maddie. Oh, Maddie. Come on, Maddie. Give him that at least. Oh, Maddie. And they all walk out together and he does that sound. And snaps his fingers. That's a great ending to that scene. Yeah, it is. They're back at Blue Moon now and David's in his office, very stressed because he has to do something he doesn't want to do. And Agnes walks in and says, Miss Hayes wants to see you in her office. Just let her know I'm sharpening my axe. What does that mean? 
Yeah, so he goes out into the office and Jurgensen and O'Neill is, you know, sitting around doing nothing as usual, reading the paper. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's just giving them some banter about how much you got in your checking account. <laughs> He's just trying to go the long way of saying you're fired, basically. But yeah. Maddie being Maddie comes out and gets him off the hook. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, she softens in the what, Yeah, what Mr. Addison is saying that we're getting you parking spaces closer to the lift. So <laughs> the elevator. Oh, the elevator, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it lifts. And uh, they say that again in another episode, by the way. I'm going to give you a parking space closer to the elevator. Is Yeah, that's said in another episode. Watch my compilations video on YouTube. Things that repeat in Moonlighting, it's in that. Yes, and the link to Shauna's YouTube and Moonlighting the Podcast's YouTube is located in the show notes of wherever you listen to your podcasts. So they go into Maddie's office and he said, you let me off the hook. And she said, well, maybe I'm saving up IOUs for when I'm on the hook. Maybe I'm trying to be nice. And nah. And it's such a great ending. He comes back in, sticks his head in the door. You know, I would have made you limbo. Yeah, I know. And the smirk. He would have. He would have too. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I know that smirk. (laughs) He got the smirk again. Great ending to a great episode. Everything just came full circle. Yeah, it did. Yeah, good plot, you know. Well thought out. Yeah, it was good. Um, and it was a little bit complicated, which was good. The ransom, how they got the 50 grand, you have to sit and work that one out because I sat there and thought, how did they get the whole 50,000? It didn't make sense to me until I sat down and worked that one out. So that was my calculation. If anybody disagrees, you can write to us. Love her in that dress. Love the little hearts. I don't think we ever see that dress again when she's like looking at her desk and like down at her papers and looks back up at him and stuff like yeah. that. Just like gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. Like everything, yeah. like that soft dress. Yeah, it's just more of a full dress because sometimes they have her in skirts and blouses. Yeah. But I just like that, yeah, this full dress look and everything. Yeah, it was just really nice. Let's do the summary of the episode, shall we? Okay. So the music featured, we had You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones, Limbo Rock by Chubby Checker. We had Money by the Beatles and other artists pop goes weasel Mm -hmm. and we had bruce singing money and we had one well we had 0.5 of a rhyme from agnes Mm -hmm. (laughs) right and i don't know about you shauna but i calculated three outfit changes the first one when she first enters blue moon she's got a yellow suit when agnes doesn't say good morning miss hayes she's wearing her pink suit and at the uh-huh. end, she's wearing the dress. Did you count three? Let's see. She comes in the office. She's wearing the yellow suit when they go and find Clark. Yes. Okay. Yep. Then, yeah, three. So there's only three outfit changes in this episode. Door slams. Wow. Yeah. Was this an episode of door slams, Shauna? I know. They went full tilt here. For sure. I counted 14 door slams. Would you agree with that or not? 14? Really? Yep. I counted eight. Nah, <laughs> I got 14. I where... Okay, let's hear all your door slams. Are. Okay, so the first one is when she first enters Blue Moon and they're doing the limbo. 
The second okay. one is the same scene where she goes into her office and slams the door. Then okay. David leaves the office when the, he gets angry, goes to his office and slams his door. He slams it twice and all the rest are all Maddie's slams. Then Maddie goes to his office and slams both doors simultaneously. So I counted that as two. Yeah. Maddie comes in to the second limbo in the entrance and slams the door. Then Maddie slams the door to her office as she enters after they've done, you know, the same time of the limbo. David enters his office after telling the staff off. He slams the door. Then Maddie slams the door after the duck joke. Then she slams the door after the, when she says they're all fungi. Then she slams, oh, then I counted this one. So when Emily Graydon arrives the second time to Blue Moon and Agnes shows her in, she slams Agnes out, out of the office. And then, okay. then she slams the door again as Emily leaves and she puts her back to the door and then she leaves her office and slams the door there and then she leaves blue moon to go to the lift and she slams the door again my goodness so i actually had 13 but it's actually 14 because i counted those two door slams in david's office so there's 14 door slams in this episode get out of town Yeah, we were surprised that there were no door slams like earlier on and now yeah gosh 14 door slams in an episode that's amazing really really amazing Let's look at the stats so far. So far in Moonlighting. So this is the 12th episode of Moonlighting, if you count the pilot as two episodes. Mm -hmm. So far we have 19 door slams. We've only got three feet out of the elevator so far because we didn't have any today. We've got five times that Bruce has sung and we have 4.5 rhymes from Agnes. (laughs) and that's the summary of moonlighting so far great stats how about we do some moonlight trivia it's now time for moonlight trivia all right moonlight trivia when maddie and david return with their fifty thousand dollar check how many people appear in the corridor um there's one woman walking ahead of them out of the elevator down the hall god is it one or two other people that pass them I'm going to say three people total. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Another Beatles reference. A man with a briefcase goes to the elevator, then a woman goes around the corner, and then a man carrying some paperwork comes through. Okay. All right. Including Agnes, how many employees are shown in this episode? Hmm. Hold on. And stop looking at the episode. <laughs> I'm not. I'm actually closing my eyes trying to. <laughs> I was actually not cheating. I didn't even think to cheat. God, I mean, I should have been. Um, I'm going to say 10. Very close. I'll give you this one because there's 10 employees plus Agnes. So it's 11. Okay. Okay. Where all these people came from, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, where they get all these workers all of a sudden. It's funny. What colour are the flowers that are lined up going towards the front door of Emily's house? Yellow. Very good. Three out of three, Shawnag. Woohoo! 
my gosh. Surprised myself today. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got a few for you. Nothing too exciting. In the Blue Moon offices, there are two globes. Where are they and what do they look like? What's the difference between them? <laughs> okay. So there's a, there's a globe outside the entrance of Maddie's room on the left. Yes. What did you want to know about it? What does it look like? Yeah, that one there is not see-through. Hers is like a see-through glass type thing or plastic. Theirs is like an old, just a normal wooden colour globe. It's just outside the office. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's like a black and silver, more solid. Yeah, where hers is more glass see-through. Yeah, quite like hers. It's unusual. I know. I like that see-through one. When Maddie and David are standing in the corridor talking about the $50,000, they're Mm -hmm. standing outside of a business, another business on the Blue Moon floor. What kind of business is it? You can just see a little bit when they cut to Maddie. It looks like it says attorney at law. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know about the name because the name's cut off. I know. Yeah. I always try to read the name. I, I'm like, I want the camera to go over just like a little bit more, you, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, it does say attorney at law. So yes, that's good. All right. When they return from Clark and David does a second limboing, what time is it? Um. Well, if you're talking about the clock that's where the employees are, mm-hmm. yeah, so on the that one never clock. changes. It's either 10.40 or 10.50. So I think it was 10.50. Mm-hmm. In the morning, it said 10.50, but in the afternoon when they got back, there was a different time on it. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yes, that was. No, I don't know. I've never, never noticed it. Okay. So they were out for the day or whatever. They came back and the money and all. And it was 428. Oh, 428. I didn't even notice that. You know what? I always look at that damn clock. Whenever I look at it, it's 10.30, 10.40, 10.50. Yeah. And I think, oh, it's always morning time. But it does always say, yeah, seem to say morning. But yeah, this oh. time it was late in the afternoon. Oh, oh, I didn't notice that. Good one, Shauna. You got me. I got two out of three. Yay, I stumped her on one. And I thought my trivia was going to suck today, but you know what? <laughs> Hold it out. <laughs> I have one more. There are two items in David's office that are there in the first half of the episode, but then in the second part of the episode, there's only one. There are two items in David's office. Mm. And they're near the door. I don't understand why there would be two because you don't need two. But in the mm-hmm. second half of the episode, it's been moved and there are a couple of them in the employees area. Oh. Mm. On each side of the door. We only need one. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to picture it. I can't quite picture it. I watched it again last night without having to concentrate on anything, just in yeah. case I saw something else. And I thought, what the hell? Why is there two there? I don't know. Tell me. There's two clothes stands you know like a hat stand on each oh, side of the right on each side of the door yeah that's so funny why would there be yeah if you watch the episode again they're both there and then later on at the end when he has to sharpen his axe there's only one god that's so funny yeah why do they have so many hat, hat racks <laughs> <laughs> that's right he only has to hang his jacket seriously god <laughs> i know right 
Early everywhere's a hat. All right. How about some Moonlight Mail? It's now time for Moonlight Mail. All right. So we received a lovely email from Lucy. Hi, Grace and Shauna. The podcast sounds extremely professional and I'm really enjoying the commentary and loving your enthusiasm of my favourite TV show of all time. I watched it obsessively from England when I was in my teens. I still have the original UK air dates and song names from the show written down in a notebook, which has survived 35 plus years. Sorry, I'm a few months behind on the podcast. I'm playing catch up. I had a few comments about the next murder you hear. In the podcast, you ask what gun was used to shoot Paul McCain at the start of the episode. My husband identified it as an Uzi submachine gun. Also, just wanted to add another thought about the Shirelles. They sang dedicated to the one I love, which was used in the season three episode, The Man Who Cried Wife. Also, just wanted to check the number of episodes, as you mentioned, 66 episodes at the start of each episode. Yet if the pilot is counted as two episodes, then the total is 67, I think, according to the Moonlighting episode guide. You have inspired me to create my own top 10 episodes. It'll take a few days, but I'll be comparing it with your lists as you reveal them on the podcast. I look forward to hearing more and hopefully helping fill some of the gaps. Thanks again, Lucy. Wow. Thanks, Lucy. That's a great email. That's amazing that you've kept that little notebook, that you've got all the air dates and the song names from the show written down. That's really good. Yes, with the next murder you hear, I didn't really research the gun, but thanks for letting us know that he used an Uzi, which really wasn't necessary for this poor little guy on the radio. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, the Shirelles. <laughs> With the Shirelles, yes, dedicated to the one I love, absolutely. Season three, The Man Who Cried Wife, good pickup. And, mm-hmm. yes, you're right about the episodes. There are 66, but the pilot is always classed as two for some reason. So if you count the pilot as two episodes, yes, it's 67. Otherwise, there's only 66 episodes. So that's how we calculate it. I don't know legally what it's supposed to be, but if you look up, um, I think it's on Wikipedia, they say that the pilot is classed as two episodes. So it's up for debate. And I'm glad that we've inspired you to create your own top 10. I hope all our Moonlighting fans do that so they can compare it to Shauna's and mine at the end of the podcast. That will all be revealed. So thank you for listening to our podcast and thank you for the email, Lucy. Yes, thank you, Lucy. And we just have a little short one from Dane on Instagram um, about the Glenn interview. And we got a lot of good feedback about the Glenn interview and people really enjoyed that and a few little interesting tidbits we were able to pull out of him so thank you everybody for their feedback holy moly well done finally got to listen to your interview with glenn today unreal loved every minute of it and that was great so thank you so much dane and again everybody i wish i had saved all of the feedback that we had gotten um, about the interview with uh, glenn because people just loved the information that we got out of him and it was just great to hear from glenn again get a little bit of an update updated perspective on the show so yes thank you everyone one of our most downloaded episodes yes it was yes people were very interested to hear what he had to say and I thought it was an informative interview and he was very gracious to come on to the podcast and answer a few questions and we had fun interviewing him it was a very relaxed type of environment and he was happy to answer any questions so it was great and I hope everybody enjoyed it 
Yeah, it was great to talk to Glenn. Definitely made your goals of the podcast reached with that one. And we'll be announcing soon some other interviewees. We'll be interviewing other people from the show in upcoming months, but that is to be advised. More to come. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Same moon time, same moon channel, as I always say. That's right. So, Shauna, is this in your top 10? Grace, it's not, which is actually a bit surprising. I'm surprised it's not in your top 10. I would have thought this would have been a Shauna episode. It's, it's probably number 11. What about you? Top 10? This episode is a member of my top 10. Ooh. Uh, it really is like probably the most classic. Like I said in the beginning of the show, we step over the threshold into real moonlighting where we said before that they weren't completely their full characters yet. Here they are. They completely are. So it should be in my top 10. I don't know. There's, you know, there's so many good episodes. Sometimes it's really hard to decide. You know, it could be in some ways an evolving list, but I made one at the beginning of the podcast and I will stick to it. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I think this episode is classic. It's hilarious. It's them really settling into their characters. And David is David, Maddie is Maddie. And I just love the banter between them. There's classic lines. There's classic scenes in it. The limbo. All in all, it's a classic moonlighting episode. What moonlighting has always been known to be. Yeah, that's true. It ticks all the boxes. Okay, so what episode are we going to be talking about next week, Shauna? Well, Grace, next week we have another great episode to discuss and a great guest star with Dana Delaney. That episode is Knowing Her. Yes, a great episode, which was aired in November 85, directed by Peter Werner, and it was written by Jeff Reno and Ron Osborne. The relationship gets a little strained when an ex of David's comes on the scene. And yes, we have a little bit of a triangle going on, but that's all I'm going to say until we talk about it next week. Another insightful episode into the very complex relationship of Maddie and David. Well, until next time, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.